0: Welcome to Thrive Podcast. Here, you'll find our weekly sermons, songs, and different other types of content. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Now, usually before I talk, I like to engage the audience just to see, am I speaking to, do I need to do like a remedial sermon? Or can I like, you know, like lift it up to like seminary level and use big words like, you know, uh, what's like pulchritude, pulchritudinous? So let me give you a quick quiz just to see what kind of group I'm speaking with. So I'm going to give you four just really basic stories from the Bible, like four snippets of stories from the Bible, and you're going to yell out to me who the main character is in each story, okay? Got that? Four snippets of stories, you're going to yell out to me who's the main character in that story, okay? This story has in it uh, a little boy who was put in a basket and floated down the river, and then, uh, okay? And then this story has in it um, a guy who, um, he is, uh, oh yeah, that was Moses, okay? Okay, Okay. the next story, it has um, this guy who, um, he challenges the prophets of Baal to this big showdown, and God rains down fire from heaven. Okay, I hear you guys saying Elijah. Um, this story has in it um, a woman who is a prostitute who lowers the spies down from the wall, and this story has in it, uh, maybe you don't know this one, this uh, story has in it a woman who is a, a prophetess or a judge, and she actually... Uh, leads them in into victory. Okay, great. So I, I love this because this tells me that we are needed some remedial work um, because uh, the, the the main character of every story in the Bible is always God. So this is one of those times when those like really easy kindergarten answers in Sunday school is really the right answer. The reason that's so important when we talk about gospel shaped worship is because if we don't put God at the center of every story in the Bible then people are at the center of the story. That means the story of David, knocking out Goliath, is about David. It's about how you can have courage, how you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to, especially if you have experience defeating previous things in the past. If God is not the center of the story of of Moses, then the story of Moses, the story about Moses, uh, or in that, you know, Exodus, whatever, is about how you can lead a great group of people. If you get training leading sheep, maybe you can also lead people too, right? And so when it comes to worship, if we don't very quickly put God at the center of this topic, then we'll end up all over the place. We'll end up crawling on the floor and barking like dogs, as some people do in some churches. We'll end up erecting little idols that look really cute and have like nice little cheeks. We'll bow down and worship those things. Because we'll put people at the center of the story. So um, the reason this is so important to me is because... Oh, sorry. When I was um, in seminary, I wrote a paper, and I got I got a D. I got a D. I don't know if in Ethiopia they do Ds also, but D is a bad grade. And the reason I got it is because my teacher said, you wrote this paper as if this character in the story was the main character. It should be about God. Um, so as you can see uh, from this statement, we're just going to have a little bit of fun, you know... Um, with this sentence, all people should worship God, so part one, and today we're going to talk about the direct object, okay, now I know you all are super brilliant, I've heard lots of great things about you all that you are just like great students, you make straight A's, perfect attendance, that kind of stuff, does anybody know what a direct object is, I mean, if, if, he, if, he, if, he, if A.B. asks you, like, are you guys happy to be here? And it's like one person says, yeah, then how likely am I to get a response when I say does anybody know what a direct object is? Probably nobody, right? So let me answer the question for you. <laughs> Let's look at an example. Sion hit the ball. Which word in that sentence is a direct object? No, no, no. Uh-huh. Ball, yes, Ball. Because the, the the direct object receives the action, it receives the action. Sion kicked the ball. Marcos ate the catenia. Do you guys know what a catenia is? Not the restaurant, but did you did you actually know that there's a food called catenia? It's like really nice. It's like cooked in butter, like and and folded over with like like nice spicy Uh Okay, next sentence. Um, the musicians played the instrument. So in the second sentence, catenia is the direct object. The musicians play the instruments. The instruments are the direct objects. It receives the action. So we're going to talk about today, all the people should worship God. What's the direct object in that sentence? God. Yeah. All people should worship God. Now Now the question is, because we're at a remedial level tonight, right? Because you guys didn't know that God was at the center of the Bible. So we're at a remedial level. So I'm going to break down, like, who is God? I mean, that's like a really big subject, you know, like big volumes and stuff have been written about this. Um, I think that no matter whether you've been a believer for a long time or a short time, uh, it's very easy to get so excited about these larger concepts, transubstantiation, right? You know, all these big words that sometimes we, we miss like the really simple things and sometimes we have to hear them again. Plus, I would imagine some of you um, may really wrestle with who is God. Um, I know this because I talked to a friend the other day. She said, um, you know, as a counselor, there are there are youth who come to her and they're a part of youth groups like this. And they tell her, I don't believe in God. I just go because my parents tell me to go. I just go because it's the cool thing to do. My friends are there and I really like the energy in the room, but they really don't believe in God. So so who is God? Um, Where is God from? What makes him so special? Does he deserve worship? Does he even care whether or not we worship him? And does he care whether or not we worship other things? These are really legitimate questions, right? Because I would imagine that you guys want to be faithful in your walk with God. He exists, right? So, um, so let's just tackle some of these questions. You can keep them up there for me. So who is God? Um, before I do that, uh, let me say also real quick uh, in this very long uh, introduction that um, it's very easy. Um, so this is more like a topical sermon or, or a topical message or topical talk or whatever you want to call it. Uh, exegetical is when you take one text and you just like drill, drill deeper, deeper, deeper into that text. And this is more topical. But it's very easy when you have topical messages to bring in, um, what's called eisegesis, where you kind of take your own thoughts and ideas and you project them onto the Bible and you project them onto God. Um, and so what I'm hoping to do is use the scriptures as much as possible so that you'll know that I'm not making this stuff up. How do I know this? Because when I was younger, like about half my age, I was a part of this church that had like 25,000 members. It was huge. It was like really huge. And we had this one speaker come in and this speaker said this. He said, everybody, Jesus is rich and he wants you to be rich. And he says, let me show you in the Bible. And he says, okay, look at this. First of all, when Jesus was born, they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And he said, the street value of the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh was in the millions of dollars. Because in that economy, those were very valuable things. And so Jesus, from the very get-go, was rich. That's what they'll say. Then they'll say Jesus was rich because Jesus had Judas carry his money back, money back. Raise your hand if you have a person with you carrying your money back. It's because you're not rich. You're not rich. So Jesus was rich. He had so much money that Judas had to walk with him to carry like all this man's money. Like, Jesus, you know, this is Judas' job. He's the money keeper. Then they would say Jesus was so rich that he wore Versace. He wore wore like the nice Gucci clothes because when he was dying on the cross, they're like fighting over his clothes. No, you give me that. You give me that. I want that sequin. I want. oh, please. So they will use those, you know, little uh, scriptures to say Jesus was rich. But we know he wasn't right Um, because they take that totally out of context or people will say Jesus was gay. They'll say Jesus had, like, all men disciples. They're all, like, hanging out together. When the woman, like, got down and washed his feet, he didn't seem to be too excited about that. Or Judas betrayed him with a kiss, so therefore Jesus is gay. Okay, right? These are teachings that are out there. I'm not making this stuff up. So when we talk about worshiping God, I would hope that what I have to say is supported by Scripture. Amen? So in the very beginning, what does it say? It says, in the beginning, God. Right? So we can see from the very beginning, very very beginning god is there there's nothing else there's nothing before him psalm um, 90 22 uh, says from everlasting to everlasting you are god you guys like the word infinity to infinity and beyond yeah so what's before infinity what's after infinity from everlasting to everlasting you are god so god has always been there there's nothing before him and I know that some of you who are in college or university, or you guys are not in high school, are you? I mean, not no, AB looks like he's in high school, but not the rest of you guys, I'm just curious. I'm just joking. Uh, so it says, um, so we know that God was there from the very beginning. Obvious, right? But a lot of the things that we're learning in school is that, no, surely God isn't there. God is just a figment of our imagination. God is something that we've created just to make ourselves feel good, just to give ourselves excuses if we don't perform well. Oh yeah, God gives me mercy, you know. So a lot of people think that God is just like made-up, make-believe character, just like Cinderella or Shrek. I don't know how it came with Shrek just now. That was really weird. Um, but uh, but and, but what people fail to answer is how did everything get here? I mean, just just think about from logic. Don't even think religiously right now. Just think logically. What people are saying who believe in like Big Bang and evolution, their, their evolutionary evolution and that kind of stuff. Are literally saying that there was absolutely nothing. At one point in time, there was nothing. Like just like blackness. Just like nothing. And then just by chance, that nothing like got a little bit of rain on it, a little bit of dust came around that rain. And then like some gas came around that nothing. And then all of a sudden a planet came. And then that planet just happened to be, happened, happened to be the exact right distance away from. The sun, which also happened to be there too. Just the right distance. Like if I've been a little bit too close, we burn up. A little bit further back, we freeze. The right distance for life to be created. So you have this planet. All of a sudden, the conditions just happen to be so normal that life starts to come. So you have this like little booger-like creature, like on the ground, just like sitting there. And all of a sudden, like lightning, which comes from somewhere, hits the booger. And then all of a sudden, the booger turns into like a lizard. And then the lizard walks around, he gets real tired, his legs fall off, and he becomes a monkey. And then the monkey is just like, man, I think, and over time, he becomes a person who's able to build co- complex things like spaceships to go to the moon. Now, I don't have to be religious to think that that is like foolishness. There has to be some kind of driver or some kind of mover or some kind of thing that pushes this process along. So if we can agree that there's a, a pusher or a processor or a, a maker, then what is that maker's nature like? Is he cold and distant? Does he just like throw stuff out there and be like, all right, y'all, you're on your own now. Or is that creator and maker interactive? Does he love? Does he show compassion? Does he Does he expect things of his creation? Or is he just, he just made everything, right? So I want to let you guys know you are not crazy for believing there's a God. You guys have probably seen those movies that talk about this kind of stuff. But you're not crazy for believing there's a God. You're not less intellectual. You're not less, uh, you shouldn't be taken less seriously. It, it makes perfect sense to believe in a God. How did everything get here? I mean, like, just a car. How did a booger make a car? You know? You know the boogers, sorry. <laughs> like I'm, You know, because like people say these little amoebas, these little single-celled amoebas, like Cain, and then those single-cell amoebas created. evolved into something more complex and more complex and more complex, and then it became you and me, who can, like, do calculus. That just doesn't make sense. You with me so far? Okay, very logical. This is not even religious stuff yet. So we know from the very beginning that God is the creator. He made everything. And before him, there was nothing. What do you think about that? Because many times we kind of ask ourselves, or some of us do, like, who does God think he is? Like, you expect me to, like, bow my knees to you? You know, I'm, I'm an American. In America, you know, everybody's independent. We, like, declared our independence from the British. So our country's all about individualism. You don't tell me what to do. I can do what I want to do because I have rights. They're protected by the Constitution and the law, and I'll get my lawyers on you, right? So who are you, God, to tell me to worship you? What makes you so special? What makes you the only one I should worship? Why can't I choose something else? Those are legitimate questions, right? So, we see that God is creator. Um, we also see in, uh, in Deuteronomy 6.4, which is one of the like foundational scriptures of the Jewish faith. I need to hurry up because I'm talking to you. I have too much stuff to say. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So a lot of people were like, okay, you know what? Maybe there's lots of gods. There's like rocks and trees and sunshine, and I can just worship all this stuff. And and, and the God of the Bible says, no, no, no. There's just one. It's just me. There's nobody else who is legitimately God except for me. And that's the foundational verse of monotheism as it relates to Judaism. Monotheism, one God. Okay, got that. I can't see you guys' mouths or anything like that, and plus you're quiet, so I'm assuming you're understanding all this kind of stuff. You got it. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. So then we realize that this God who calls himself one has this really weird nature about himself. He is three. He's got three persons. Wait a second. Okay, one plus one plus one definitely equals three. Like, would you all agree with me? Like, like all these people say, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That's three gods, Right? But let me help you a little bit to try to understand that concept. So this God who calls himself creator from the beginning, this God who declares that he is one and not many things, this God expresses himself or, or lives in, the, in, in uh, as, as three persons. I have to be careful how I say this because if I say it fast, like the heresy police are going to be like all over me. Especially with this being a podcast. Oh my goodness, that was that was modalism that you just said. Brother need to be? And then I'm going to be like on YouTube with like all these people like, you know, saying bad things about me. So let me talk carefully. Um, so any chemistry people out there, let me just give one little example, okay? So when I was at, uh, in college, we learned about this thing called the triple point. Have you guys heard of the triple point before? Raise your hand. Triple point? Really? Okay, good. Triple point. This is for real. This is, I'm not making this up. This is for real. So you know that water is made of What? What What's the, the the chemical symbol for water? H2O. Did you know that H2O can be a solid? It can be a liquid. It can be a gas. But you know that at the triple point, those three things can exist simultaneously. You can literally have solid, liquid, and gas at the exact same time if you have the pressure and everything right. There. Really. So my question is, if that can exist in nature, then why cannot that not exist with an indescribable Indescri- indescribable God. You with me? You with me? Or another way of looking at it. Suppose, um, for the nerdy people out there, I know there's some nerds in the audience, you still want to reveal yourself. Um, but let's suppose that we live in a in um, in a in a two-dimensional world. Now, follow me. Let's suppose we live in a two-dimensional world. Um, actually, I can use this one. We live in a two-dimensional world, right? And then God wants to reveal himself to us, Right? So God reveals himself and intersects with our world. We can only understand God at the places where he intersects, right? Because we can't fathom his bigness or all the stuff that's up here or the stuff that's down here or the stuff that's behind. Does that make sense? So the only way we can understand him is if he reveals himself to us. Is that, is that too deep? Does that make sense? You got that? Okay. Okay. So what we're trying to do is understand a complex creator who calls himself one, exists in three persons, and all these, has all these cool attributes. And we're trying to understand, why does he want us to worship him? <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Okay, so we've seen God is, uh, he's creator, he's one, and that he um, exists in three persons. Who are those three persons? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So some places where we see that, Genesis chapter 1 you know, where we see that uh, God spoke. So we say Jesus is the word of God, so the word is the the spoken part, if you will. God is God, and in the spirit was hovering over the deep. So we see all three persons of the Trinity present in Genesis. Um, We also see all three persons of the uh, Trinity present in other places around the Bible as well. Uh, We see in John chapter 1, that it says, in the beginning was the Word. Like, when's the beginning? It's like the beginning, like the first thing, the story, like Genesis 1, in the beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you know the transitive principle? Like, transitive principle? You know that? Okay. okay, So you could say, uh, all countries have leaders. Ethiopia is a country, therefore Ethiopia has leaders. You know, like transitive principle. So if, um, if, if, if God, if Jesus is the word and the word is God, then Jesus must be God. Does that make sense? Sorry, I need to like do like more yelling and shouting and like all that kind of stuff. Because if I do that, then you guys might be a little more energetic. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Uh, we see that in, uh, when we, when we encounter the son or the word of God uh, or, or who Jesus is. That Jesus has authority over sickness. He has authority over sin. He has authority over nature. He has authority over evil spirits. So we see not only is this God, the God of creation, but he also has authority and power to maintain and to um, be over his creation. Uh, We also see that um, uh, the Holy Spirit does all all, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, For the sake of time... I'm going to move on a little bit more. So so what are some more attributes about this God? He's holy. Holy, uh, one of my teachers described it as holy other. There's no category for God. There's no other thing you can say, oh, God is like this, or God is in the same species as that. God is holy or holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Just playing on words, holy other. And so God is completely perfect. There's no darkness in him. There's no evil. There's no guile. There's no deception, there's no anything nasty or yucky or stinky in God at all. He is completely holy. He created everything, He exists as one. He has authority over all of creation and he's completely clean and not yucky in any way whatsoever. I feel like I'm talking to five-year- old's yucky. So imagine this word, just like a little picture of, um, of a little boy whose father is going to a wonderful banquet his father has on a white suit looking really nice, and then the sun is playing in the mud, right? And then the son sees his dad, Daddy! And he runs toward his dad, like full steam ahead, with his mighty little self, with his dad wearing his white tux, looking all nice and and, and, and clean, and he jumps in the air, hey, Daddy! What do you think the dad's going to do? We're like, whoa! Give him the stiff arm, right? Uh, so God is completely different from us. We are a little bit yucky and nasty, actually a little bit, a lot bit, we're actually really nasty and yucky. Um, and God is really clean and really nice, and really holy. So God is holy. Um, many other characteristics about God, but just one more is that God is a promise keeper. Um, remember, in the time of Abram, Abram uh, encountered this person who called himself God. Right? Abram was probably a pagan who didn't. He probably worshipped multiple gods. There's no evidence that Abram was a monotheist before he encountered God in Genesis chapter twelve. So God tells Abram, "Hey, look." I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great, and through you, all nations will be blessed. So Abram could have said, okay, I appreciate that, but I don't believe you. I mean, he could have. He could have said, you got to prove it. I've never encountered you before. Are you going to keep your word? Are you like the God of the Muslims? Now, I believe that the word, you know, the word Allah is okay to use for God. That's a whole different story. Um, but is the understanding of God from a Muslim perspective what we're talking about when we say God? the God that we're talking about from the Bible. Um, God keeps his promises. So from a Muslim perspective, you are supposed to have your good outweigh your bad, and then on the judgment day, or when you die, God can be like, yeah, your good outweighed your bad. Great job. You had 371 points to 45 points. You're in, right? That's how it should work, if God kept his word, and if God kept his promises. But every Muslim will tell you they don't know if they're going to heaven, even if their good does outweigh their bad. Because God might change His mind, God might be deceptive. He might actually have a reason for not honoring what He said He would do. Is that the type of God that we are, that we serve? No, God keeps His promises. I think I have like like two minutes left. Five minutes left. Okay. Um, and so God keeps His promises. And um, and so in light of all these characteristics characteristics of God, it's very easy to see that we're like these tiny little like dots, like just not even like that big. And there's somebody who created everything. He has control over everything. He, um, he has all these attributes. He keeps his promises. Like, what would you want to do in response to a character that is that awesome? You want to like shake his hand? Nice to meet you. You did a really good job in creation. Really love those trees that you did. It was amazing, you know? Like, what would you want to do with him? Would you want to have breakfast with him? Would you want to talk with him? Uh, would you want to, what kinds of actions would you want to do with him? Well, that's where we get to this, this concept of worship. Worship means to declare the worth of something, to, um, to, to, to proclaim the greatness of something, to, um, to um, and to give yourself to it. It's not just like a, a live action type thing, and we'll talk about that next week because today we're talking about direct objects. Next week we're going to talk about the verb. It's kind of deep, isn't it? Part speech. You know you're going to be educated this week, did you? Maybe you won't show up next week because you would be like, man, that was so boring. Uh, okay, so what do you want to do in response to this awesome, mighty, sinless, clean, full of light uh, character? What do you want to do with him? How do you want to interact with him? Um, and Because we said that God is the center of the Bible and not people, the question we need to ask is, um, how has God revealed himself to us, and what does he expect in return? I teach a class called Perspectives, and one of the things we say in that class is, God reveals his glory so that he will receive glory. God like shows us these awesome facets of who he is, his love and his character, his compassion, his uh, justice, his mercy, and and those things, as he reveals them, are not just so we'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Wow, I, I like God. But he does it out of his love, but there's also the expectation that his creation would reciprocate and give him glory back. God reveals his glory so that, or, or, or not so that necessarily, but God reveals his glory, and his hope is that he will receive that glory from us again. Does that make sense? It's kind of, yeah, kindergarten? Okay. The last thing I'll say before it's my time is um, the, the next logical question that you, uh, you can go back uh, real quick um, is uh, Does God even care whether or not we worship other things? I mean, look, I have rights. I, I can do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. So, Maybe you worship God and I'll worship a microphone or a tree or even myself. I think I look pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm just saying like I'm quoting somebody else. I'm not saying about myself. I'm not like you tisco Cisco or anything like that. Okay. Um, but is it okay in light of who we've described God to be, is it okay to worship other things? Like, can we just all agree that we'll like collect a whole lot of like money and go buy like a really nice piece of pottery some shekelah, and we're just going to decide, let's worship that thing. Is that okay? Right? Is that okay? No, it's not okay. She's the only person that said it's not okay. She's the only person that's not a heretic. The rest of you guys are heretics. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. Is it okay? No, it's not okay. That's called idolatry. The reason idolatry is so bad is because it reduces God. God is like over the whole universe. Like, have you ever been out raise your hand if you've been to outer space. Nobody? Really? I thought in a room like this somebody would have been outer space. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> okay. Uh, I forgot what I was saying because I just... Uh, ha- yes! Thank you. She's paying attention. I was testing you. Uh, so, idolatry. So, if God is so big that he's over all creation, including, like, galaxies and universes and, like, black holes and all that kind of stuff, and you take a, a piece of gold and you fashion it into a, a statue... You have just reduced God. You've reduced his bigness and his awesomeness, and you've localized it. You've made him common. You've made him weak. You've made him cheap. You've made him tangible. You've made him little. So, idolatry reduces God's awesomeness. And even though people might say, well, okay, well, it just helps me to relate to him better or whatever, it's sin. It's wrong. Does that make sense? So, God's desire is that all of us worship Him. Uh, so, uh, let me close uh, by saying today we've talked about the direct object. You guys know what a direct object is now, right? It's the part of the sentence that receives the action. See, on kick the ball, the ball, the direct object. We should worship God. God is the direct object. All of our affections, all of our love, all of our obedience, all of our purpose, all of our meaning should be directed at God. He's the one who should receive the action of our whole life. Not just our church life or our Friday night life, but he is the direct object of all of our affections and all of our obedience. So um, uh, you can put the last slide up. Next week, I want to talk about the verb. Like, what does it mean to worship? Um, Is this worship? If I do that, is that worship? I don't know. Is this worship? I don't know. We don't know, right? So next week we're going to look at how do you worship. So, so I understand, Richard. You're telling me this is the one we should worship. I agree with you on that so far. I, mean, I, think, I think God is pretty awesome. He's pretty big. Yeah, I think you made a point about him being holy. So I, I can get with that. Yeah, I think I think I will worship God. What do I do? Do I need to yell? Do I need to be quiet? Do I need to jump? Do I need to sit still? Do I need to clap? Do I need to cry? What do I do? So next week, we're going to look at the same sentence uh, that we said before. Uh, we should worship God. we're going to look at the word worship. What does it mean to worship? But more specifically, how do you worship? It's a very legitimate question because there are a lot of expressions of worship that we see, especially in Ethiopia. I mean, not especially, but all over the world. But we live in Ethiopia. So we go to different churches. We see different things. And we say, is that legit? Can you do that? Can you move your shoulders like that in worship? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about disgusting. I'm just, okay, anyway. So next week we we'll talk about the verb. So I want to give you two takeaway questions. I know this is maybe baby for some of you guys, but it's very, it's very practical because um, it, it, sometimes we, we take in so much volume of sermons and ideas and everything. It's sometimes helpful just to just take it, revisit the basics. Um, and plus, you guys didn't know that God was the center of the Bible, so I had to start from here anyway. Uh, so the, the first question is, who is God and what has he done for you? So let's make this a little bit personal. You know what the Bible says about what he's done for Moses and Abraham and Joshua and Deborah and Luke and uh, Paul. But let's, let's make it personal. What, who is God and what he's done for you? What has he done for you? Because often the way that we express that worship or what we do Uh, is like an overflow of, or an expression of of, of who he is for us, what his goodness is to us. Does that make sense? Um, So who is God and what has he done for you? And number two, who or what is a direct object of your worship? Uh, I want to just challenge you this Sunday at church, as you're worshiping or as you're going throughout your day, just, you know, who is a direct object of my worship? Is it my feelings? Is it me? Is it whatever? So who... Or what is the direct object of your worship? Okay, so um, let me pray. I know this is a, a youth group, so you guys can handle like thirty minutes, and you're done. Just like I can't handle anymore. Like you're at thirty-one, dude. Like this is over. So I'm gonna stop. It was more than thirty-one. But AB, hey, thanks for having me, and I'm gonna be back uh, next week, God willing, and uh, and we'll talk about the verb of worship. I love talking about that. So one of my passions is talking about culture and things like anthropology because. In the church, we often don't talk about those kinds of things. We over-spiritualize, like, everything. Um, But I want to get, like, real nitty-gritty. So we're going to start next week with a quiz, like a little quiz. I'm going to give everybody a sheet of paper, and I'm going to give a list of verbs or actions, and I'm going to ask you the question, is this worship? No, this is not worship. Or three, it depends. Okay? That'll be fun, won't it? All right, I'll make it really hard for you guys. Let's pray. Um, God, uh, we believe that you should be the direct object of our worship. The world tells us to put so many other things in that place in the sentence. It tells us to give our affections to things like cheap things, like cell phones. Uh, it tells us to give our affection to other people in terms of worship. Um, people that were made in your image. It tells us to even give our worship to ourself. We spend a lot of time in the mirror. But Father, we realize that uh, through the scriptures that we've seen today, as well as just our encounter with other other scriptures, that uh, that you should be the center of our affection and the sole source of our worship. Lord, speak to our hearts if we have made other things the direct object of our worship. Speak to our hearts and uh, and correct us so that we can come back uh, and live the way that you desire for us to live. Lord, we pray that you give us uh, an opportunity to meet again next week that you'd uh, keep us safe, but also that you'd help us to be purposeful uh, in the various places that we go as we live, uh, as people who are called to be about the Great Commission. So thank you for this night, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.